Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Well, thanks everybody. And thank you for joining me for moments today. I really want to study the Bible with you today. I want to have a one-on-one Bible study with everybody viewing today with everybody connecting. I want to hear where you're from. I want to hear where you're watching from. I want to hear where you're connecting from. Let me know your city. Let me know your country. Let me know uh, what's happening. Talk in the chats. Invite somebody. I really want to take uh, some time to study the Bible and to give you a little insight into how I study the Bible. And um, this is going to be one of the one of the things that I want to bring to you is more content in studying the Bible where we actually go verse by verse in certain passages and even in some of the books of the Bible and some of the, I'd like to break down verse by verse some of the chapters in many of the books of the Bible. But the whole Bible, uh, first I want to lay out for you, the Bible says the sum of God's word is the truth. It doesn't say some of God's word is the truth. It's, it says the sum, S-U-M. So when you add it all together, you find the truth. And when you look at it through, an, you have to look at everything through a finished work on the cross standpoint. You have to look at everything from the finished work of the cross. So everything has to, you know how you think of in a church stained glass windows that all the light looks through all the light comes through this particular stained glass all the light comes through uh, this image of these colors and in the same way everything has to be viewed through the stained blood of Jesus through the stained cross like the stained glass I just use that as an analogy everything has to be looked at every verse has to be studied and understood through the stained through the stained glass window of the stained blood, the blood-stained cross there. Uh, so if that makes sense. So anything that Jesus says before he says it is finished has to be looked at from perspective of it is finished. Furthermore, I'll say when we study the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says study to show yourself approved as a workman that does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. Now, people have taken that verse in many different directions, and you could take it literally to mean study so that you become proficient at teaching it. And it, 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 can have, it does have that meaning. But it also, I believe, should be looked at like this. Study to show yourself that you're approved. You should study the word of God through a New Testament lens, through a blood-stained lens, blood stains on the cross. Through that lens, it is finished. We should be studying to show ourselves that we are approved by God. We shouldn't be studying in order to get approval. We should be studying that he has given us his approval. So that's where I would start with, this is the way we should be studying the Bible. This is the way we should be reading scripture is to show, first to show ourselves that we're approved. God's already approved of us. When you're born again, God's already approved of you. But now we want to, I want you to learn to study the Bible to show yourself you don't have to prove it to anybody else, but to show yourself that you're approved. 
not to get approved. A lot of people are reading the Bible in order to be approved, to obtain approval. I want you to study the Bible to show yourself that you have been approved by God. So that's why you're going to hear from me so often verses like Mark 1.11, where Jesus was baptized. He comes up out of the waters of baptism, and a voice from heaven says to him, you are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy, or you are my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased. Most people know that verse in that translation. But I love the New, the New Living Translation where he says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now, when you get a hold of that is the first thing we have recorded that God spoke to Jesus. That's the first thing we have in the Bible that God said to him. It should matter. Everything the Bible says matters. But it should carry a lot of weight when that's the first thing that the father said to Jesus before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before Jesus ever did a miracle, before Jesus ever healed anybody, before Jesus dies on the cross, before any of that happens, before, before Jesus taught one thing, God spoke to him after he came up out of the waters of baptism, before Jesus achieved the will of God, God said to him, the father said to him from heaven and everybody heard it who was around, you are my dearly loved son. I love you. You bring me joy. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Wait, Jesus hadn't died for our sins yet, but the father was pleased with him. Jesus hadn't preached a sermon yet, but the father was pleased with him. Jesus hadn't healed one sick person yet, but the father was pleased with him. Jesus hadn't died on the cross and, rose, and risen from the dead yet, and yet the father said, I'm pleased with you. The father was pleased with him. See, I don't believe you can attack the will of God for your life or achieve the will of God for your life until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt before you do anything for God. Just by accepting Jesus into your life by faith, he's pleased with you. The Bible says, without faith, Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the first thing, that, the biggest thing that I think people miss from the Bible is they read the Bible to find approval. They, they read, read the Bible to, to achieve or obtain approval from God rather than reading the Bible to discover the approval that they already have. In fact, I frankly think that's where people mistake most of the Bible. They read it to obtain and acquire something from God rather than read it to discover what has already been obtained by God for us through Jesus. So that's this, this mentality, this mindset of what I'm sharing with you right now is how everything has to filter through that mindset to me. If it doesn't, it has to check in with that mindset, and if it doesn't, if it tries to get sneak into my mind without checking in through that mindset first, I'm not letting it in. I'm not letting it sneak in. I'm not letting any uh, scriptures inaccurately applied. I'm not going to let any scripture be inaccurately applied to my life 
and I'm not going to let any scripture be inaccurately applied to your life because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 says, if it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that means this thing can hurt, this thing can cut. So if you use it in the wrong way, it can cut people. And that's why religion has screwed up so much of the world by misinterpreting scripture and reading verses in the wrong way and leaving people condemned, leaving people confused, leaving people uncertain, leaving people unsure. That's why I should, that's why I like to start by saying when we study the Bible, we should be studying to show ourselves that we're approved. I'm not studying to show anybody else something until I get a hold of it, till I understand I'm approved, then I can teach them what I'm getting from it in a way that encourages, builds up, edifies, comforts. All prophecies, all scripture is prophetic. It's prophecy, it's God's prophecies to our life. You're healed by his stripes, that's a prophecy. It's gonna happen if it hasn't happened yet. Jesus paid for it, so it's a prophecy. It's a prophetic scripture, a prophetic promise that by his stripes you're healed. So all scripture is prophetic promises from God. But we have to make sure that we realize that those promises have been procured for us, purchased for us through the blood of Jesus. For all the promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. All the promises of God are yes in him and with us is the amen. So all the promises of God, you need to read the Bible to discover God's promises. And when you discover a promise, stop trying to figure out what to do to obtain that promise and start applying that promise to your life by, by declaring over yourself. In Christ, this promise is yes to me. God made this promise and it, the answer to this promise is yes already because I'm in Christ Jesus. This is how to read the Bible. So now I'm reading every scripture that has a promise in it. I'm reading it as that's mine in Christ. That promise belongs to me. The Bible says in Galatians chapter three, verse 29, if we belong to Christ, we are Abraham's seed and we're heirs according to the promise. So whatever God did, whatever promise God made to Abraham and to the other forefathers of the faith, those promises are ours in Christ, in him. So we need to, we need to read the Bible from a approved point of view rather than from the point of view of we're trying to obtain approval. We need to read the Bible as God's promises to mankind rather than as a challenge we don't need to read the Bible as a challenge to try to convince God to give us that promise. Abraham, every time he tried to get God to keep the promise, every time he tried to get God to carry out the promise that he was going to have a son, every time Abraham tried to get God to keep that promise, it backfired until Abraham finally let go and trusted and began to say about himself what God said about him in Genesis chapter 15, 16, 17, and beyond, and began to, and then of course, chapter 22, I think is where Isaac is born, 
but Abraham's efforts to try to bring that to pass resulted in Hagar and Ishmael and wars and divisions and problems in the world until he finally decided, I'm going to trust God. He made a promise. And it's not up to me to try to get God to keep the promise. It's God who made the promise. He's the promise maker, and therefore God's the promise keeper. My part is simply to believe and say yes and say amen. With us is the amen, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. So I say all that to, to lay the groundwork for any scripture now that I talk about with you, any scripture that I'm teaching you, that's how I filter my understanding of scripture. Now, other preachers or other Bible teachers, professors, they may everything may filter through something else for them. They may make sure everything filters through their catechism or everything filters through the theology they were taught in, in Bible school or through their, or through their tenets of faith. I don't, I don't know how they reason, but I know how I reason through the blood of Jesus, through a grace-based, a grace-purchased identity, a promise-based relationship with God. It's not about, Christianity is not about the promises that we make to God. Christianity is about the promises that he makes to us. That's how, that's how Christianity should be viewed. That's how the promises of God should be viewed. That's how your everyday life should be viewed, and you will be a happy person. So let me, let me take you through one of my favorite passages of Scripture with this in mind from this point of reasoning that I just laid out for you. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So let me, let me show you how I study this. Let me show you how I obtain understanding of this verse. So he says, blessed. Now, this is already talking about me and it's already talking about you because it says blessed. And already we know from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for curse is one that hangs on a tree, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come to us, the Gentiles, through faith in the promise of God. All right, so the blessing... Anytime the word blessed or blessing now is used in scripture, now I have to view that scripture through the blood-stained cross, the blood-stained lens of it is finished, tetelestai, the price is fully paid, the sentence is fully served, the battle is fully won. Now I'm blessed. And he says how to activate this blessing. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So we're not walking in the counsel. When he says ungodly, does that mean 
anybody who's not a Christian cannot give us advice or give us counsel. Like what about a doctor who gives us counsel about uh, a medical procedure we need? What about a lawyer who gives us counsel, counsel about the law? Are, because they're not Christians, should we discount their counsel because they're not godly people? Or is he talking about what the substance of what's being shared? That's what he's talking about. Blessed is the man that does not walk in unwise or ungodly counsel or counsel that does not line up with God. That's all it means. It doesn't mean somebody, you know, uh, this, this, this lawyer wasn't a Christian, so we can't get advice from him because he's ungodly counsel. We have to have godly counsel. We have to have Christians who give us counsel. No, we don't. We have to have counsel that is aligned with God's way of thinking. We have to have counsel that is aligned with the word of God and the finished work of the cross. So when I'm listening to somebody say to me, oh, Jesus didn't do it all. He did your salvation part, but you have to finish your salvation with this, 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 and this. Okay, that's the, that, that person could be saved who's telling me that. That's the counsel of the ungodly. That's how I interpret this. That's how I learned to understand this verse. Nor does he stand in the path of sinners. Now, so he's talking about walking. Then he's talking about standing. So I like to break down verses and I like to find the lists that are in each verse. So there's a list here. There's a list of walking, standing, and sitting. And then delighting and meditating and being planted. So I break, I break these concepts down in my mind by forming lists. So one of the ways that I study the Bible is I look for the list that is used in that passage of scripture. There's, there's a list coming. There's, a, there's some sequence of events that lead to an outcome. You know, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Watch the sequence. God loves so God loved, that's the, that's the first thing in the sequence. There is a God who loved. How did he love? He loved by giving us. Who did he give us? His only begotten son. And what did he give him to us for? So that we could believe on him. And what happens when we believe on him? We will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. You see the sequence of the scripture that lead to the outcome. Follow the sequence. So in this passage, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we can look at this as a list. As you continue to walk with advice and, and input that is, does not line up with scripture, you're going to slow down. You're going to slow your roll on the walk. And now you're going to stand. Now, this is what slows you down. This is what defeats you. You're walking, you're blessed because you're in Christ, and you're walking in your daily life. I don't mean walking for exercise, but you're walking out your daily, your daily life with God. As you're walking, the more you listen to advice that doesn't line up with the grace of God, the love of God, the promises of God, the scriptures then you're going you're gonna to stop, stop walking and you're going to stand still. And now you're standing 
in the same path that you used to stand in before you were saved. He calls that the path of sinners. That doesn't mean, ooh, I can't walk on the same road that a sinner walks on. This is, has nothing to do with self-righteousness. This has to do with self-awareness. Okay, so now we're not, we're, he says, if you, he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So here's the pro, watch the evolution or the progression, the negative progression. You start out walking, but you're listening to ungodly counsel, advice that doesn't line up with the word of God. Now, you, now you don't, you're no longer walking. You're not making progress. Now you're standing, and now you're in the same path for the enemy to hit, to hit you because you're not listening to, you're not living by the promises of God. You're in the path of sinners. Now you're standing and then you end up sitting and you've been standing too long. You're walking, you're too tired. Now you're standing. Now, that, now you're too tired for that. Now you're sitting. So the next part of the verse says you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. So you start out listening to bad information. You end up in a path or on a pathway that leads to destruction or leads to something devastating in life. And now you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, when you sit in the seat, here's how I study this. Here's how I break down verses like this. He's talking about sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, I want to contrast that to other places in the Bible that God tells me about sitting. And so I contrast sitting in the seat of the scornful with what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 talks about, that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I have to make my choice every day that I'm going to identify with my seat with Christ in heavenly places, that I'm sitting with Christ in heavenly places, or I choose to continue to listen to bad information, that even if it sounds religious, it's not lining up with the grace-purchased identity that belongs to me in Christ and the grace-purchased promises that are mine in Christ and the blood-bought promises that are settled and finished in Christ. What ends up happening is now I'm sitting in the seat of the scornful, those that mock, those that jeer, those that are against. Now I'm positioning myself against the goodness and the wisdom of God rather than the seat I'm taking is I'm taking the seat of who I am in Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places and I'm going to listen to the advice that, that gets me remembering that seat and gets me operating from that seat rather than this path that gets me operating from the seat of the scornful, from a seat, from a seat of skepticism, from a seat of cynicism. This all leads to being a cynical, negative, skeptical person. Now, this is just what I'm getting out of it. You can get more out of it. I'm getting that. And that helps me. That reminds me that I need to remember and remind myself and I need to be around people that remind me that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places because now I'm going to see life from a positive standpoint. I'm going to see life from a victorious standpoint. I'm not going to be seeing life seated in the seat of the, I'm not sitting in the seat of the scornful that, that is skeptical at the promises of God and cynical at the goodness of God and negative about other people and negative about myself and negative about everything in life. And now I have a sour life because 
I started out blessed in Christ, but I started listening to stuff that didn't line up with the word of God and the grace purchased identity and grace bought, blood bought promises. That slowed me down to where I can't even walk as much. Now I'm standing in the wrong path. I'm in a path that's, that I'm standing in that I have no movement. I have no progress. And now I'm sitting in the seat of negativity and in the seat of cynical skepticism and pessimism rather than remembering I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means seat, that kind of seat brings rest. This other seat of the scornful brings anxiety and stress. Being seated with Christ in heavenly places brings peace and rest and confidence and trust in God and looking at things from a finished point of view, looking at things from a victorious point of view, looking at things from a sitting with the Lord at the throne, like conquerors. Well, he did call us that too. See, now all scripture has to be measured by other scripture. So we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So I got to add that to the equation here. That's where I'm sitting in the more than conqueror section. If I listen to the wrong advice, I'm going to be sitting in the scornful section where I, I might be saved, but I'm negative and pessimistic and I got no optimism. I'm not expecting things to get better and better, brighter and brighter. Or I can sit in the place that Jesus purchased for me, seated with him in heavenly places. And from that perspective, I see everything through the finished work. I see everything as the goodness of God is working it all out. I will not despair because I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? Psalm 27 verse 13 says. And then he, I hope this makes sense to you, but again, just feel free to comment. Feel free to send in your questions. Feel free to let this wash over you and minister to you or let it inspire you. Let it encourage you to read the scriptures a little differently than what you maybe been used to. So then we get to verse two. We're not even verse three yet. We, that was just verse one. All right. So, so much of God. God's word is living and active and full of life and it doesn't run out. It's the well that never runs out. It's oil that never stops pouring anointing into our lives. But his delight, verse two, is in the law of the Lord. Now, again, we have to read this verse through the lens of the finished work of the cross. So I'm not going to apply the law of Moses here, which he doesn't even say. He doesn't delight in the law of Moses. He says delight in the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? What is the law of the Lord? The law of the Lord is the new covenant. The law of the Lord is Jesus finished it. And now all that's left for us to do is be loved by him, breathe in his love and breathe out his love to others. That is the law of the Lord. That is the new covenant law of the Lord. It's written on our hearts that we're forgiven. It's written on our hearts that we're loved. It's written on our hearts that we're, that we're, for, that we're blessed and favored by God. So I'm, so I'm going to delight. I find great joy in knowing that it is finished. I find great joy in knowing that the Father loves me. I find great joy. It's my delight. I delight in the, the new covenant. I don't delight in the old one. 
I learn from the old covenant, but that's not where I get my light from. It's not where I get my joy from. It's not where I get my peace from. I get my life. I get my joy. I get my peace from the new covenant. There were two covenants, the old covenant that was built upon the blood of animals and people keeping the commandments, which nobody could fully keep. So God gave a new covenant because the old covenant revealed to us that we were flawed. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, if the old covenant was able to do what the new covenant can do, there would have been no reason for a new covenant. Well, what was wrong with the old? If the old covenant wasn't flawed, what was flawed about the old covenant? It says in Hebrews chapter eight, verse seven, I think it finds fault with us. The old covenant, the problem with the old covenant was not that it wasn't correct. The problem with the old covenant was not that the 10 commandments aren't good. The problem with the old covenant and the reason for a new covenant is the old covenant found fault with us, but the new covenant finds us faultless in Christ. The old covenant finds us, finds our faults. The new covenant washes away our faults and finds us without fault in Christ, not guilty in Christ, not guilty. Pontius Pilate had Jesus come back after being inspected by Herod and all, all back and forth. And Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The ruler of the world at that time, Pontius Pilate on behalf of Herod, or not on behalf of Herod, but, but on behalf of the Roman government, on behalf of the Roman Empire, Pontius Pilate, the ruler of this world, found no fault in Jesus. And the ruler of this world, Satan, when you're born again, you're in Christ, and the ruler of this world can find no fault in you anymore. Just like Pontius Pilate could find no fault in Jesus, the ruler of this world can find no fault in you. He can try to tell you how faulted you are and try to tell you, but he has no power over you unless you give him power because Christ redeemed us from that. And Jesus gave us authority over all the power of the enemy. So nothing but shall by any means hurt us. He gave us authority over the devil. We submit to God, we resist the devil and he flees. The devil flees. The devil runs. You put the devil on the run. That's how I read my Bible. How about you? This is how to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible like it means you win. You got to read the Bible from the perspective that is finished. It's done. I've got the victory. I'm more than a conqueror. Every promise in there is bought by the blood of Jesus. I, all I got to do is just accept it. Just receive it. Yeah, you got to have a blood attitude. You got to have a blood brother attitude. You got to have an attitude like I got a covenant with God. He made it in Christ. He made it with Jesus. And he gave me participation in it simply by believing in Jesus I am now a joint heir with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, 17. We're joint heirs with him. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God. Our inheritance is God. God is our inheritance. And when you have God, you have everything God has too. Woo, that's how to study the Bible. <laughs> okay, wait now. We're not done. We got three minutes left. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the new covenant. And in that new covenant, he meditates day and night. Like, I'm thinking about the blood of Jesus all the time. I'm thinking about what God did for me all the time. I'm not thinking about all that I did wrong or all that I have to do for God. I'm meditating in the new covenant. I'm not meditating on the rules. I'm meditating on the blood-purchased 
life that is now mine and it's yours in Christ. And all we got to do is meditate on it. Day, meditate on that day and night. It's not go find a scripture in Deuteronomy, go find a scripture here and meditate on that day and night. It's meditating on the new covenant day and night. Meditating on this sweet deal day and night. Meditating on this amazing arrangement that God made with us that he pays the full price, we get the full benefit. Whew, incredible. You know, what, you know what will happen when you do that? When you think about that all the time, you'll be, you'll be planted by, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in its season. Your leaf will never wither. Wow. And whatever you do, you'll prosper. Well, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, <laughs> whoever you are, wherever you are, that's, that's how I study the word of God. And I hope that helps. And I want to pray for you. Are you saved? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Bible says by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, but it's the free gift of God, not a result of works lest anyone should boast. Would you like to be born again today? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Woo! Just saw a bunch of helicopters fly by me. <laughs> wow. All right. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Salvation is so simple. Just pray this simple prayer. Pray this right now out loud after me. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Say that. Heavenly Father. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I believe, say that, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I'm a child of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sins. Amen. Well, salvation is that simple. It was hard to, to accomplish. Jesus had to suffer. Jesus had to become a man. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to hurt. Jesus had to suffer the most excruciating, painful death of any human. But he did it for you and he did it for me so that salvation could be free. Jesus paid the price so salvation could be free. And if you just prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, let me know and get one of my free books, The Power of a New Life. It's my gift to you. It's absolutely free. You can download it anywhere in the world absolutely free. It's the next steps of this Christian journey. And I just bless you. And I declare as you meditate on what Jesus has already done for you, you're going to be like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. You're going to bear fruit. Your leaf is never going to wither and you're going to prosper at everything you do. Why? Because you are blessed and meditating on what Jesus did for you, the new covenant that's what we meditate on day and night, and it will result in supernatural fruit, supernatural harvests, supernatural blessing, abundance, prospering, and all the goodness that God promised. It's already yours in Christ. Meditate on it day and night, and we'll talk some more another, on another chat, on another moments, but don't miss Sunday. I can't wait to worship Jesus with you then. God bless.